Hello, and welcome to... Wait a second. Calvin, where are we? Well, we're in the recording studio, but this isn't our podcast. I think this is another show on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Oh man, we gotta get out of here. Wait, maybe we should tell them about our show. Hey, that's a swell idea. Our show, Let's Pharmanize, is everything you'd want in a pharmacy podcast. History, pop culture, sex appeal, and humor. We've covered the drug from Limitless, medicine of World War II, the ancient history of birth control, and more. Let's open the vault. Crack that baby open. Does one of the side effects of this medication include a good time? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's E. So there's G-M-A-D and then there's E. E stands for allergies. It's like this spider, like, drapey thing. We have used wet meatloaf five times in this conversation, and that is five too many times to use the term wet meatloaf. It's like a round lasagna. I mean, you know, it hurts pretty bad, and you're thinking, man, onga bunga, this is pretty bad. (laughs) We post new episodes every Monday. Check out Let's Farmanize on your favorite podcast platform and social media. All that and more on Let's Farmanize. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. We believe pharmacists are the best positioned providers to lead in PGX. Pharmacogenomics is the study of how genes affect a person's response to drugs. This relatively new field combines pharmacology and genomics to develop effective, safe medications and doses that will be tailored to a person's genetic makeup. This podcast is dedicated to pharmacists with an interest in learning more about the data analytics, industry trends, and evidence-based usage of pharmacogenomics. Welcome to PGX for Pharmacists, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. The Pharmacy Podcast Network has thought long and hard about the type of content that we want to deliver to our favorite providers, the pharmacists out there. In collaborative care, we have some physician listeners, we have nurse practitioner listeners, and we welcome you. And there are two subjects that have been very interesting to me personally, and I've really dug and searched and networked with so many of the professionals that are out there. Obviously, these are pharmacists that I'm after, their attention. And I gained the attention of several, uh, not only amazing people in pharmacogenomics. You're listening to the PGX for Pharmacists podcast right now, as you know, and we've reached the top 20 podcasts in the in the globe for, uh, for genomic discussions uh, from professional to professional and provider to provider. And I think pharmacogenomics, big deal, big opportunity for pharmacists out there that want to leverage what this diagnostic and tool can do for the life of your patients. And uh, in making sure that the drugs that they're on are working as intended, as designed. But what about the other one? That's medical cannabis. That's the world of, of how pharmacists, once again, the leaders of all things medicines and medication experts, how is, how is cannabis going to play into the care for patients suffering with pain, suffering with sleep deprivation, suffering with diet, suffering with cancer? How are we leveraging cannabis? And by the way, we are at a crossroads today because we are crossing pharmacogenomics with cannabis and the leverage of cannabis. And I couldn't have think of a better person to command today's episode, the one that has helped us take this podcast to a whole new level, Dr. Becky Winslow. It's so good to have you back. Hi, Todd. Thanks so much for the introduction and thanks for having me again on the podcast. Um, 
Hey, everybody. We have a very exciting episode today. Uh, like Todd alluded to, we are combining two topics that are very, very hot uh, for pharmacists right now, and pharmacists want to know more. And I have a very special guest with me today. Um, I have followed his work um, for over the last year. He's been he has impressed me immensely, not only with his knowledge, but also his ability to educate others in a very clear and concise manner. Um, so I'm extremely pleased to introduce to you guys Dr. Cody Peterson. He's a doctor of clinical pharmacy and a pediatric pharmacist. Cody, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Uh, before we dive into the topic of our podcast today, please tell our audience how you're qualified to speak about cannabis. Well, uh, I'd like to think I am. Uh, so like uh, Becky said, my name is Dr. Cody Peterson, uh, PharmD, uh, not physician, and I am a practicing pediatric pharmacist in uh, pediatric hospitals around the, the southwestern United States. I'm located in Southern California right now, and I also am going back to school to get my master's degree in medical cannabis science. So not only do I dispense uh, cannabinoids in my practice in pediatrics, which is Epidiolex CBD and Dronabinol THC, which I'm sure we'll get into during this conversation, I also have the opportunity to look at cannabis um, from the master's level degree at the first pharmacy school in the United States to offer at the University of Maryland. Um, so I definitely bring a unique perspective and, and a skill set and training that that not many individuals in this space have. Awesome. I love your background. I love your experience and even more, even better um, pursuing that master's degree. Um, Cody, before we jump into our discussion about cannabis, the pharmacogenomics of cannabis, could you just give us a little bit of um, history on how does the pharmacy community, has it evolved or not evolved towards its acceptance of cannabis um, as a medication? Well, I think it's pretty clear that the field of pharmacy is always evolving, I guess, first and foremost, right? Is, is that sort of the uh, industry in a nutshell is evolution. And when the industry really was born was in the early 1900s. And, and we sort of figured out how to isolate plant molecules and turn them into medicines. You know, the, the classic example is aspirin from the willow bark. Um, and so we, we took this alkaloid, extracted it, and we said, oh, look here, this is the magic inside this thing that has always been a part of, of folk medicine. Well, another part of folk medicine and ancient Chinese medicine and medicine that was, that was prominent even after the Renaissance in Europe, um, when people had really discovered the value of cannabis or, or hemp, uh, as sometimes would be called, depending on where it was grown in the world. Once we realized that that was useful, Western medicine adopted cannabis products and companies like Eli Lilly and other companies in the pharmaceutical space were using plants and making cannabis extract and then using that for patients, whether that was menstrual cramps, um, whether it was, uh, you know, uh, inability to eat or, or even something like cholera. There was a lot of potential uses for cannabis and cannabinoids in even early America, um, in, in the 1700s throughout Europe, 1800s, it was all over the place. And it wasn't until the 1940s that cannabis was taken from out of pharmacies here in the United mm -hmm. States, removed from the U.S. pharmacopoeia and became an illegal substance, particularly um, during the war on drugs under Nixon and all subsequent presidents. 
Thanks for sharing that with us. I'm, I'm glad that you pointed out um, the fact that it was moved out of pharmacies because um, it's moving back into pharmacies, right? So this is an excellent opportunity for pharmacists. So Cody, um, what actually sparked your individual interest in cannabis? Well, it's it's kind of a, a long story, so I'll kind of keep it brief. But essentially, uh, a loved one or the relative of a loved one uh, was was passing away from pancreatic cancer. At the time, my relationship with cannabis was that of the typical 21-year-old in college. Uh, but I had also heard a lot of talk about how cannabis could be medicine. And I happened to be in school studying about medicine at pharmacy school. And so in the you know the event that, that they, this patient had moved to palliative care, this is my, my girlfriend at the time's grandmother, uh, she had actually become rather ill and they have decided to move strictly into palliation only and uh, morphine and Ativan were not producing the type of results for the family that they wanted. They felt she was a bit comatose uh, and not enjoying her life. So at that time, um, it, you know, with, with her actually requesting it, the grandmother, um, my, my girlfriend at the time, we actually made a cake uh, and we, we did it through the old fashioned black market uh, and we, we made a butter and then we, we helped uh, grandma to a slice. And uh, it was one of the, they just had laughs and cries and enjoyed a meal together in, in some of the last days of her life. It was really touching. Um, at that point, I kind of hung up uh, any any of that those skills and, and put them on the back burner, completed my degree and really fell in love with pediatric pharmacy, where I've been trained to take basically lacking clinical information and apply it therapeutically as best as I can, as safe as I can, because pediatrics, we don't get these studies um, that, that you need for this these robust medical um, recommendations and guidelines. So all of a sudden I fell into this program uh, through a couple of happenstance, a little bit of luck um, and some, my employers giving me some reimbursement. So I felt very fortunate to have found my way back into getting this education and decided I wanted to share the incredible information about the endocannabinoid system that I discovered, not in pharmacy school where they didn't even mention it to me, but after and how important and how integrated into all these other systems the ECS is. Mm -hmm. That's an awesome story. And, you know, I think a lot of us that have um, specialized in pharmacy, we have that special story that kind of drove us to where we are today. And um, it's those moments or those those stories that can really drive us to pursue and to help others. Um, so you mentioned that you repurposed your skills from being a pediatric pharmacist into um, your evaluation of um, cannabinoid products. That is excellent. I mean, that's that is awesome. That that just shows your ability to transition um, those skills that you learned, not having that clinical evidence um, or maybe the abundance of clinical evidence with pediatrics, um, and and using those skills for your evaluation of cannabinoid products. Can you tell us a little bit more about? Uh, cannabis's mechanism of action. Um, this is where we start talking my language and uh, receptors, mechanisms of action. Um, and maybe if you could also elaborate a little bit on why you feel like um, this is not a standard medication currently. Well, what challenges we face to make it a standard medication or do you suggest maybe like why it hasn't yet been adopted? We'll take both. 
<laughs> okay, touche. So how cannabis works is way harder than we've been told, <laughs> believe it or not. And so the reason there's been such an, well, how, where do we want to start? How cannabis works is very complex. We have a lot of aspects to consider when we think of cannabinoid therapy. Now, certainly THC is the cannabis product that comes to mind. This is the by the psychoactive component of cannabis that, that leads to the high. And that high appears to be mostly mediated through a receptor called CB1. Okay, the CB1 and CB2 receptors make up the majority of the endocannabinoid system, but they don't live in a side right? They're actually just one of three pillars that make up what we now de define as the classical ECS. So this classical ECS has the enzymes that produce these endocannabinoids. These endocannabinoids themselves, which are known as 2-AG and anandamide, and the receptors that we already mentioned, there's CB1 and CB2. So these are the classical endocannabinoids. And generally, you can kind of box a lot of cannabis's mechanism of action into acting at those two receptors, whether it's THC or CBD. However, recent revelations have shown that it is far more complex than this. And the endocannabinoid system, as it's defined classically, is likely far more complicated, uh, nuanced, intermingled through all the rest of our body. And lastly, quite promiscuous, meaning that it doesn't just respond to plant cannabinoids and doesn't necessarily just respond to phytocannabinoids. Um, for example, some prostaglandins in the body are part of this endocannabinoid system. And the enzymes like COX that enzymes, uh, sorry, that NSAIDs work on appear to be part of this larger endocannabinoid system, which is now being turned termed the endocannabinoid ohm. And I'll stop there for questions. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you can elaborate on that for way longer than we have. Longer than we have today. Longer than we have today, but you, we will definitely have you back. Um, so what I hear you saying is that um, there's a lot more to discover about the uh, ECS and that I believe I also heard you say that it's not just about genetics. There's also epigenetic effects. So can you tell us about the epigenetic effects like stress and how that affects the ECS system? Absolutely. So the cortisol that your body releases in response to stress is followed by a release in your body also of an endocannabinoid. And the, that endocannabinoid is likely to sort of stop that stress response. But we know in chronic stress responses, this, this sort of effect can be muted. And we actually see potentially dysregulation of the endocannabinoid system in chronic stress, which could be related to some of the autoimmune conditions uh, you know, whether that's a cold sore or whether that's a flare of, of some sort of arthritic condition or Crohn's, any and all of the above could actually be related and cross-connected with the endocannabinoid system. But there's so much more beyond that. When you start to consider all of these other things that we do in our lives and how they can impact this super dynamic, super important widespread system known as the endocannabinoid system or mm -hmm. endocannabinoid ohm, really, stress, what we eat, the type of fats that we eat, how much we exercise is a huge driver of this. Other disease states can greatly influence the way our endocannabinoid system presents. And yeah, as you kind of mentioned, genetics are one factor among many that dictate our, our therapeutic response to cannabinoids.
Yes, yes. So genetics is my favorite topic. Um, and with that being said, let's talk about one of the drugs that you encounter as a pediatric pharmacist and one that's actually FDA approved, um, Epi Epidolex. Um, let's talk about the pharmacogenomics of that medication. Um, so you're well aware, I know, that current FDA labeling uh, for this drug does not actually recommend or mandate that we test patients um, pharmacogenetically uh, for the genes that are related to the drug's efficacy and toxicity. However, FDA drug labeling um, does include many drug-gene drug interactions um, between epidiolex and medications that are inhibitors inducers and substrates of pharmacogenes. So, um, you know, just for example, a moderate or strong inhibitor of CYP3A4 or CYP2C19, um, you would need to consider a dose reduction for epidolex. Can you elaborate on, you know, how do you approach this in the hospital setting? Um, how do you approach each patient, even, even if you don't have a pharmacogenomics test, to tell you if the patient um, has a genetic variant that affects the pharmacogenes associated with this medication? Do you treat every patient the same or do you have to treat them individually, Cody? Yeah, I think regardless of the therapeutic, we really need to take this individualized approach. And we see the same thing. That's the whole premise of pharmacogenomics is that we can individualize and sort of custom tailor recommendations to patients. The problem with cannabis is, is there's multiple active constituents. We're not usually just using a CBD isolate or a THC isolate, at least not in what we've seen generally to be more effective than the isolated form, which is a whole plant extract, which contains the essential oils of cannabis, potentially multiple cannabinoids and cannabinoid acids, uh, which is the way the plant actually produces cannabinoids. And there's also byproducts that can be associated with if you, let's say, are smoking that are produced. So there's a lot of factors to try to consider and then pair up with the genetic test. I think that information like what you just referred to, like CYP enzymes, mm -hmm. particularly if someone is a very rapid or very slow metabolizer, can be of value. But the problem really is, is we still don't have that right dose, right? Like that really, like you should start here. So what we actually are doing still today as the professionals in the space and the healthcare professionals who are trying to figure this all out is we're starting with a very standardized like 2.5 milligram or 5 milligram dose. This is not everyone, just to be clear. This is uh, medicine is an art, not a, not a science. Um, and so most patients are being recommended to start low, go slow and try to figure out how is this affecting my symptomatology? Where are my problems coming from? And is this helping to address them and really trying at this time um, to figure out not so much what's the perfect custom formulation for this person, but what is working the best for this person at this time? Yeah. Because as I mentioned, when you consider all of these receptors, all of these external factors that are not encapsulated in the tests, it's really quite difficult to dial it in. Um, but I still think that the PGX or pharmacogenomics can be a super handy tool, especially for the novice user. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that we always try to stress to our audience is that, you know, this genetic test is not a magic, 
it's not a magic solution. It's not the formula to perfection. It's really to be used in the toolbox of medication therapy management. And I mean, you have elaborated so beautifully on all of the factors that can affect not not just cannabinoid medications, but all medications. Um, And and it's looking at that person at that exact moment um, because the stress level they're at today may not be the stress level they're at in, in two weeks. And we really have to consider what, you know, what's happening today. Let's treat today. And let's take care of the patient, just as you uh, have referenced earlier, as an N of one. I love that term because each patient is actually its, its own research, its own research study, um, and, and making it work for that patient. So, um, Cody, you elaborated a little bit on the current level of pharmacogenomics knowledge that's available you know, as far as the therapeutic um, or non-toxic cannabis outcomes, is there a lot of research in progress? Um, I know we need to produce a lot more research. You just alluded to, um, instead of just ECS, the endocannabigenome. <laughs> so, Very close. <laughs> yes. So, you know, are we researching more? I feel this will become a standard of care, I feel like. How much more research is needed and what type of research are we currently looking at? Really good question. So, I mean, we, there, there's a little bit of genetic evidence that does that does exist. And, and one of those, uh, you know, that's mostly around uh, adverse effects of cannabis, particularly THC. Mm-hmm. So there's been quite a bit of in, information looking into the genetics behind THC metabolism and the the risk factors associated with schizophrenia and THC use, um, and even the adverse effects, let's say, in a pregnant mom using, using cannabis. There's a lot of research into that. So we do have some evidence to say that some patients that have a mutation in, in a CNR1 gene um, actually may have a different CB1 receptor and could be more likely to become addicted to high THC Mm -hmm. products uh, or marijuana, as it is often called, uh, although that term needs to go. Uh, So uh, cannabis, particularly high THC cannabis, can be addicting or more addictive period, it can be addicting. Um, A lot of things can. However, uh, some individuals with this CNR1 gene mutation or or SNP may be at more risk of of this addiction. That's great information. Um, I wasn't going to bring that up because I'm not knowledgeable enough to talk about it. So I'm glad you did bring up uh, bring up that gene because um, you're exactly right. Um, there is a lot of information around the addiction. Um, like you said, um, many things can be addictive. <laughs> so uh, we don't want to, um, you know, be only inclusive uh, to cannabis. So. Cody, you shared a lot of great information with us today. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience that um, you think they might find valuable? Just anything. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, my whole thing is a lot of people are, are taking higher doses of THC than they need. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of like one of the cool things or fun facts or like least known things mm-hmm. is people respond very well to low doses of THC. They also respond fine to higher doses, but we tend to build tolerance at higher doses. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those microdoses can be really helpful, especially when given alongside other cannabinoids. And we're still figuring out how and why that might work. But there's a recent study that came out that suggests a whole plant extract is absorbed differently than isolated medicine. Very interesting stuff. I also think that it's important that people recognize that we need to have open and honest conversations about both sides of cannabis. Mm -hmm. What can it do therapeutically? How many people can it help around the world? And what are the actual harms that we need to be concerned with? And how do they compare to Western medicines? And then also those, uh, you know, what are those harms that, that could well, I guess I, I double mentioned that one. But what are these side effects that we actually have to be concerned with? Let's be honest about, you know, the incidence of cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. Let's be honest, though. And when in our comparison, always remember what we do permit adults to do. Right. So cannabis is psychoactive, so it should be illegal or it slightly impairs you when you drive. Have you not ever gone into a gas station and seen the cigarettes on the wall that kill 350,000 Americans a year? And the alcohol, which is killing hundreds of thousands, uh, 10 million deaths a year globally can be attributed to those substances. Yet we only pro- prohibit the cannabis, which is killing almost no people, at least not directly, secondarily, very few in comparison. We have to start being more rational and, and just really returning to what we know is medicine and also safe enough, right? What, what adults can do. Absolutely. So both of those things. Absolutely. The war on drugs has, um, it has been advantageous in some ways, but it has also harmed, um, in my opinion, <laughs> um, patients that really need, um, that really need the medications to live a normal, uh, high quality of life. So thanks for bringing that point up. Um, Cody, I'm sure that there are some pharmacists uh, listening today or other practitioners who have been inspired um, by your knowledge, who may be considering pursuing um, uh, maybe a career in cannabis or cannabinoids um, similar to yours. Can you recommend for them um, what sources they may go to, certificate programs, Um, maybe talk a little bit about your master's program? Yeah, I'm sure people have a lot of questions and certainly this isn't going to be a forum where I can answer them all. So you have to connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram. So I'm sure that you guys will share it in the in the notes, but it's just my name on LinkedIn and on Instagram. I'm Cannabis Farm D, like my degree. Uh, so there is no doubt that you can find me there and you can ask me any questions you want. Uh, but if you wanted to find my website, which I certainly implore you to do, you can also get me at, at farmdapproved.com. Uh, where people should go for resources, they're everywhere. It's hard to know. You're going to laugh, but I've talked to a lot of people in this space. PubMed, because there is so much information coming out. If you go look for some review articles on the endocannabinoid system on PubMed, you will find peer-reviewed literature written in a very easy-to-understand way around whatever topic you want. And I swear, if you just type in endocannabinoid and whatever the heck else you want to know about, you will find that these are interconnected because the ECS touches all of the receptor systems, whether it's dopamine, serotonin, uh, norepinephrine, glutamine, mate, GABA, it's it's interconnected through all of these, the, the hormones, testosterone, estrogen, cortisol, 
It's everywhere. So go to PubMed. If you have a particular interest, look up the endocannabinoid system and how it relates. And there is a lot of preclinical data to say that, that this is a very important system. What you won't find, unfortunately, is a lot of peer-reviewed, high-quality evidence looking at herbal cannabis to say what it does. And that's for all the reasons we discussed here. The variability in patients' genetics and responses to medications has made this a very challenging thing to do from an evidence-based medicine perspective. So it's hard in that regard. At the University of Maryland, you will definitely find some of the highest quality cannabis education you're going to get, particularly as it's angled towards the pharmacist, especially the, the sort of, I really want to get into this space, but don't know much about cannabis pharmacist. This is a, a really great program for you. And then there's these programs are everywhere now. Really good plate. There's a, the Thomas Jefferson in Philadelphia has a, has a good program coming up. There's, there's a program at Cornell about the plant science. Find what you love. Find where the cannabis space can use you and master that skill. And, and there is so much opportunity for pharmacists here, whether it's from pharmacogenomics, whether it's from monitoring drug interactions and adverse side effects, or working in a, in a medical dispensary in a state that has decided that they don't agree with, with recreational use, but cannabis is a medicine. And that's what Americans overwhelmingly agree. 91% say that cannabis, medicinal cannabis, should be legalized. Wow. Again, thank you, Cody. You are a wealth of knowledge. Um, if I could just transfer your knowledge into my brain, <laughs> what that do I would get in be. Return? Uh, I'll transfer some of mine to you. Oh, How just about that? Some of it? You're getting all of mine, and I'll get some of yours. Okay. Okay. We'll make it mutually beneficial. Maybe for like a week. Maybe we do like a full, like a, like a firm swap for a week and then we get each other's perspective. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us today. I really hope you'll come back and maybe we can talk on some individual topics in uh, cannabis and pharmacogenomics. Thanks again for joining us. Um, as my listeners know, you can always find me on the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. You can find me on LinkedIn also. So thanks for joining us. Hey, Pharmacy Podcast Nation. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode with uh, Dr. Cody and Dr. Becky. They did an absolute amazing job. So interested in learning more about this. Please um, link up with us at PGX, the number four RX. That's PGX, the number four RX.com. Or you can go to our uh, Twitter handle, which is also PGX, the number four RX. And we'd like to tag Cody. We'd like to tag Becky. We'd like to tag other pharmacogenomic and cannabis focused medical professionals, nurse practitioners, physicians, pharmacists together. And let's get this message out there. We can't do this alone. We are a collaborative organization. This is all in the realm of caring for patients. They are why we're here and what we're doing. So I challenge every single one of you listening to this to share this podcast with someone else that you know in, uh, in your uh, medical and professional community. And with that, I say peace out, pharmacists, my favorite providers. Thank you for listening. Thanks for your interest in PGX and for spending some time with us. Please share this podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For all of our episodes, please visit pgx4rx.com. That's pgx4rx.com.